Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. Uh, you are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, our special coronavirus investing series, and we have Jeremy Raper back on the show. Jeremy, uh, welcome back on the show. Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm doing okay, just at my apartment uh, in isolation, so a little, little lonely, so it's always nice to talk to people, even if it's not face-to-face. We're, we're a little bit more than six feet away from each other right now, So, but always good to I talk think- to people. I think it's safe for us to talk through the uh, the internet. I think I think we won't give each other coronavirus, but uh, just in case, I'm wearing a mask. So okay, keep it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm. You know what? I'm, it's it is nice though that you could make me laugh on the show during these times. So I appreciate that. <laughs> what do we have if we don't have humor? Huh? I I I agree with that completely. Um, so speaking of, um, comp- I think we should talk about a company today. Um, let's talk about a business that is literally crashing and burning like an airplane. Do you have any ideas for us? Oh, I got, a, got about 50. In, in, this, in the spirit of humor, we're talking about, okay. I feel like I'm just, <laughs> we're going to say something that's just going to be over the top offensive. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Let's talk about air caps. Okay, so, cool. So this is the world's largest leaser of airplanes. So... Look, I mean, I, I, we, I think we spoke about this briefly last we, time. We but, spoke but, about AirCap briefly last time you were on, but that's okay. Yeah, so, so last time we spoke, the stock was probably around 60 bucks. Um, I, lo- right. I, liked it. I liked it at 60 bucks. Um, then I, I loved it at 40 bucks. Uh, and now the stock's, what, 18, 17, 18. So uh it's certainly been quite the reversal so so i mean i don't need to go into too much of the background but essentially the business model is you know buy buy airplanes narrow bodies wide bodies lease them to global airlines on long-term leases so you know 10 to 12 year leases uh essentially these are what these are what's called uh hell or high water leases so come hell or high water and that includes coronavirus the airline has to pay the lease uh pay the lease rental fee and if they don't, they, they essentially reject the lease, then they lose the plane and AirCap can theoretically, or I should say legally, then has a claim for all of the lost profits from that contract against the, the airlines. But we'll talk more about that. But essentially, the business model is, you know, it's an asset-backed lending model, right? Um, you, you try to earn a return from your uh, 10 to 12-year lease period, then you get the plane back at the end of that period and you take residual value risk on the back end of the plane. Namely, you know, the, the average useful life of an aircraft is around 24 to 25 years. So most planes have, you know, two, two leases in them. The second lease is generally shorter than the first. Uh, and the trick is to A, make sure that the airline doesn't default during the first lease and B, make sure you depreciate the plane correctly such that you can sell the plane when you get it back at a higher level than the depreciated value of the plane, or you can put it on another lease to take it through to the end of its life. That's the game. So so you basically have two large risks when you're a leaser. One is credit risk, right? Your counterparty, are they going to pay you or not? Uh, and then two is the residual value risk. So when you see stocks like AirCap go from 60 to 20 in three weeks, let's say, or four weeks, and, and from 40 to 18 in, in about five trading sessions, they're not doing it off the back of residual value, right? I mean, as you kind of 
probably got that got got hold of from that outline. The residual value question only only becomes an issue over periods of time as planes get returned to the lessor. Uh, and generally, you're talking about the the NPV of a number in the far future, right? So. The reason the stock's down from 40 to 20 in, in three days, four days, is not is not because of residual value worries or that that may rear its head in the future. It's simply because the market's saying, okay, all your company, all your all your customers are going out of business. Will you get paid? So it's really credit risk is is the issue. Um, so I guess there's there's a few ways to think about this, right? So the market is telling you. So, so I guess to to kind of give you a few more details. First of all, so book value today of the equity is around 73, 74 dollars. Okay, that book value in in dollar terms is about nine and a half billion dollars. So with the stock at say seventeen eighteen, it's trading at close to twenty percent of book value, twenty twenty five percent of book value. So let's call that you know a discount of eight billion, let's say, maybe slightly less than eight billion dollars. So in very simplistic terms, if we forget the residual value component, the market is telling you that they're going to take an eight billion dollar hit to equity, right? So since the vast majority of their assets are aircraft gross assets, so 36 billion is, is the book value of their aircraft, in aggregate, the market is essentially telling you that you're going to take an 8 billion hit on 36 billion of assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with, with no recoveries, with no recoveries, no offsets. So, you know, call it a 20, close, yeah, close to a 25%, yeah, 20 to 25% haircut to your fleet values immediately across the entire fleet. Um, and that's going to flow all the way through to the equity. Uh, it's kind of what what's being being said there. So, I mean, look, every day we see that a global airline is reducing their fleet, cutting capacity, grounding a huge portion of their fleet, laying people off. Um, it's basically been disaster after disaster because of this coronavirus issue. So naturally, the market is extremely panicked. Uh, and, you know, this is a levered business, right? Because the, the underlying returns on aircraft lending are not that high, right? The asset level return is maybe 3 4%. So these are levered businesses, right? So, you know, because of the fact that Aircap has $30 billion in debt, um, even though they have, you know, 30, close to $36, $37 billion of, of aircraft assets and, and over $40 billion of, of total assets, um, you know, the market is, is somewhat worried about, well, the market is clearly very worried about the solvency and the sustainability of the business. Which I think is is crazy for a few reasons. I mean, the first one I kind of already alluded to, but you know, this is not a question of uh, how much earnings the airlines can make. I mean, it is in the sense, but basically, you're a senior secured creditor, right? If if you don't get paid, you take the planes. So unless you are of the belief that global airline demand, so demand to travel, is not just for the next three weeks or the next two months or three months, but is permanently going to be remarked greater than 50% lower than where it was a month ago in perpetuity, there is no way that these global airlines will give up the leases just like that, unless they file for bankruptcy. The reason I say that is because before coronavirus actually hit, the vast majority of global airlines were quite short airplanes, particularly for narrow bodies, right? Because of the the Boeing Max issue, There there was a big shortage in the market. So if you're running a global airline, you're fighting for your life right now, but think of it like a coronary, a uh, heart attack on the global travel industry, right? You're not, you you have to survive for however long coronavirus lasts around, but you, you can't afford to lose half or more than half your fleet because you have to assume that traffic is going to normalize at some point, and at that point, you'll need the planes, right? Otherwise, you've permanently, you've kneecapped your ability to run your business. 
Right. Um, and, and most of these global airlines have a mix, right? Most of them own, say, a third of their planes or half their planes and lease the rest. But, but actually what would probably happen in a scenario like this is you want to devolve to the most capital efficient uh, structure, right? So over time, I mean, look, this is a longer discussion, but over time you'll probably see this will accelerate a trend away from owning planes towards leasing planes, in my view, uh, because because that's a much lower capital commitment, right, to to um, to operate, right? So, so right now, let's say, I'll give you an example. So Qantas right now is an Australian airline that half their fleet is owned, half their fleet is leased. In this kind of scenario, it's very difficult to monetize that half of their fleet that they own, right? So they have a huge amount of theoretical asset that they can't readily monetize, um, which is, you know, what, four or five billion of book value. Uh, but then, the, you know, half the fleet is leased and the annual run running costs of the lease are, you know, a few hundred million dollars or whatever. So essentially they get half the fleet for annual running costs of a few hundred million and half the fleet is on book value at four or five billion. Basically saying, you know, wouldn't you rather have half the fleet with that, you know, much lower running cost versus committing all that capital to own the fleet? So so over time, this is actually probably a positive for some of the bigger leasers, you know, assuming they can get through the current crisis. Right. Now, Warren Buffett has said that he does not like the airplane leasing com- uh, industry. Um, what makes AirCab different than, you know, traditionally how horrible the industry is? I mean, the industry traditionally has been excellent. The reason Buffett doesn't like it is because he doesn't know if there's a moat, right? So I think, I think what he said was, ultimately, it's a cost of capital business. Why would I get involved in something where the only edge is your cost of capital, right? I mean, I'm not sure I really agree with that, though, because if you look at the history of a company like No, I'm, I'm just giving the other, the other view, so I, I'm, I want you to attack this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, my pushback would be in, in past crises, there have been many examples where someone like Aircap, because of their superior platform, right, because they're the largest in the world, they have the most information, they do a plane transaction every single day. Yeah, did you see just um, two years ago they, they announced the transaction? Yeah, they, they're able to move aircraft to places where other leasers who have less scale can't, right? Right. Um, so, look, what Warren, it's, it's important to look at what Warren does, not what he says, right? So he also said he loves stocks, but he still has $150 billion cash hoard. Why? Because he's probably worried about something like this happening. He also said he hates airlines and they just burn cash, and yet one of his largest exposures now is airlines. So... There's what he says and there's what he does. Now, that doesn't mean he's he's going to come in and buy Aircap, but, you know, Aircap, you know, Aircap didn't lose money through the financial crisis, right? Aircap's never lost money as a public company. They're probably going to lose money this year, but I still find it very difficult to fathom how how more than say I don't know, a minority of their book value exposure goes bankrupt, right? Let alone rejecting the leases. So, so, so there's two, I guess, to kind of tie it back into why I think Aircap's such a bargain today, right? So if you think about the way it generally has to play out, so you don't just need a huge percent of Aircap's book customers to file for bankruptcy. You also need them to reject the leases. Those two things are not equivalent. For example, Alitalia filed for bankruptcy a couple of years ago. And, you know, all the shareholders, the state shareholders got wiped out, the bondholders got wiped out, but they didn't reject the leases. They kept paying the leases. And the reason, as I said earlier, they keep paying the leases is because they need the planes. Now, this is a different scenario because everyone is suffering pain at the same time. So you could make the argument that doesn't matter. They'll just all reject the leases en masse 
Um, but again, that goes back to the underlying view of the shape of the crisis. If you think air travel re rebounds relatively, I mean, I don't even have to say quickly, if it rebounds at all in the medium term, you're going to need your fleet. For rebounds because in a year. Yeah, if it rebounds in a year, you're going to need the fleet. So these discussions are all premature. So, so, so let's look at China, for example, right? So China went into full lockdown uh, at, what, the end of January, right? Um, air traffic at that time was 14,000 flights a day, takeoff and landings in China. That was basically the peak. It fell from 14,000 to 4,000 within two weeks, so it went down 75%. Essentially what we're seeing globally, right? Air traffic is down 75%. It probably goes lower. But guess what? Here we are today, and air takeoffs and landings in China are now 10,000 a day. So we're already back at 65%, and it's been a month, well, right. more than a month, six weeks. So the idea that, and look, the shape of the crisis in the West is probably going to be worse than China, and it's probably going to be longer. But the idea that air traffic will stay down 80% from normalized levels for anything more than I mean, even if, even if it was a year, I don't think AirCap would file, although it would get very messy. Um, but if it's going to stay down 80% for more than six months, I, I, I find it incredible. Incredible in the sense that it's unbelievable. And the reason I say that is by that time we will have won or we will have lost. And if we will have lost, then we will have already said, you know what, we can't contain it. We're going to get it or we're not. We're going to go about our lives and do the best we can. Um, Right. Or we will have beaten it and things will be back to normal. So or if not normal, then on the way to normal, which is all that really matters. Right. So if you're a creditor to 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 the airlines and that's kind of the outline, then I take a huge amount of comfort from that. The other thing to, to note is that because this, this is not a competitive issue, that is to say, you know, it's not as if Aircat backed all the wrong horses and all these guys have unsustainable business models. And they all deserve to go out of business. Of course, that's true for some of them, and there'll be some bankruptcies uh, among Staircap's customers, of course. But this is a global issue affecting every single airline in the world, right? You know, most of these, not most, but the vast majority of these are state backed airlines. There's a strategic value to maintaining your, a flag carrier, right? So it's pretty clear that most all the state backed airlines will be supported. If they're supported, it means the bondholders are taken care of. If the bondholders are taken care of, the leases are definitely going to be taken care of, as I said, because you need the planes. So if you go through Aircap's book and you try and work out, okay, how much of the business is, is, is a state-backed airline, I mean, at least 25%, maybe 30% of the book is state-backed airlines, right? And the China, pure China exposure is 20%. And there is some overlap there. But essentially, China plus Korea which is, again, all, already normalizing, plus state-backed airlines, that alone is probably 30 to 40% of the book, I would say. At least 30%, maybe 40% of the book. So that portion of the book, I don't think there'll be any impairments at all, right? So if you strip that out of the, of the asset pool and you just look at what's left over and what's implied by the stock price, you'll see, on my math, I think it's assuming that three-quarters of all non-state-backed airlines file for bankruptcy, and of those three-quarters, over half reject the leases, and of that half, the total loss to air cap is, is 50%, which is pretty crazy. I mean, more than crazy. That's just, uh, I, I can't even fathom how that's possible. Right. So basically the path, the event path here is there is a world in which this is a zero, right? 
that world is is basically where every single airline in the entire world is a zero. And also, by the way, Boeing is a zero, right? Because they're an Airbus is a zero, because the entire value of Boeing is is basically the backlog of planes. So obviously, all those orders disappear. And every other scenario other than it's a zero, Aircap should recover, I think, close to book value. And if not close, if not close to book value today, then definitely close to book value on a multi-year period. Um, presuming again that this is kind of like a massive one-off heart attack to the world airline industry, and then then it recovers thereafter. And if that's the case, look, the stocks are triple. Um, it's a triple just to get back where it was a month ago, frankly, right? And I think I still look. I still believe this company will eventually get taken out at a premium to book value, because I believe that coming through this crisis will demonstrate their not just their operating model but how they how they managed the balance sheet and the ex- excess liquidity they they had through the crisis to enable them to weather this kind of storm. Yeah, we were, we were talking and a little bit about that uh offline before. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, I mean the biggest so so the way the way you lose on something like this is you can see the light at the end of the tunnel but you don't have enough liquidity to get to the end of the tunnel, right? Right. So, so basically what you have to do is try and stress the balance sheet and stress the operating business uh, with what you think is going to happen in a very bearish case, right? So, so let's do that, right? So, okay, so forget plane sales where they, they sell aircraft and they generate gains on sale and obviously cash through that. Forget that. Let's just assume they never sell a plane for the next year. So normalized lease revenues are around four, four and a half billion dollars. Let's assume that goes down, I don't know what you want to say, three quarters. So in other words, let's assume people just don't pay them for a full year. Okay. Of course, it's not going to be in the entire world because we're already in March and they, they took some revenue in, in in January, February. And obviously China's coming out of it, so they're going to start paying again soon, right? And that's twenty percent of the company's revenues. But anyway, let's just assume 75% down. Okay, so lease revenues go from four and a half billion to let's say three and a half. Well, let's say three billion. Okay, so excuse me, uh, so down by 75%. So let's say they go to a billion. All right, so four, four and a half to a billion. Now cash operating, forget depreciation, right? So forget forget the P&L. This isn't about P&L. This is about liquidity. So so I think cash operating costs are around one and a half billion, maybe 1.7 billion, and that's essentially the cost to run the business, lease expenses, uh, SG&A, et cetera. So if they have a billion in revenue and 1.7 billion in cash expenses, then they're burning 700 million cash in the business over the course of 2020, okay? So operating cash burn is 700 million. Then they have obviously CapEx and investing cash flows. So here they will probably, uh, well, Maturing debt, that's actually financing cash flows. Let's think about that first. Um, maturing debt is $3.5 billion. So let's assume they can't finance, refinance any of that. Again, extremely punitive because they have a lot of unsecured assets, but let's just assume that's not impossible. Um, so that's $3.5 billion. So you add that to the $700 million, that's $4.2 billion. Uh, and then they have $3.5 billion of deliveries they're getting from, from the OEM, so from Boeing and Airbus. Um, so... You know, in the absolute Armageddon scenario that I kind of outlined where, you know, three quarters of their customers don't pay them, um, there are no cost offsets, there is no sweeping cash in from maintenance reserves where they can't roll any of their debt and they have to uh, and they have to take all the delivery of all their planes, even if every single counter, even if every single airline is not taking their deliveries, then they burn close to eight billion dollars. However, they have 8.2 billion of liquidity available and they have 28 billion of unencumbered assets. So even if those unencumbered assets can only be collateralized at an extremely low level, 
let's say 30 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar, that's still 10 sure. billion. So, I mean, there is literally no way they will go bankrupt in 2020, absent something worse than that, which I can't even fathom. Um, now, that's not to say the equity can't price it in, which it already is starting to do, right? But I think I think the reason the equity is trading here is largely fear and largely irrational forced selling. And the reason I say that is because if you just graph, you know, Aircap is the biggest in the industry, has the most resources. Essentially, it's the same business model as something like Bank of China Aviation, which trades in Hong Kong. And guess where that trades? That trades at book value <laughs> or just under book value. So, I mean, look, clearly Aircap must be a hedge fund hotel. Some of the other U.S. leasing names have been have been beaten up pretty hard as well, but nothing like Aircap. Uh, but essentially, it's trading on fear right now. It's trading you, on. You fear. think part of it might be forced selling? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, the the only way to reconcile the kind of price moves you're seeing this versus, say, a Bank of China Aviation is forced selling, right? Because that's why I'm Bank asking. It, it's a little wacky, and I know less about market mechanics than I do valuation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to fathom how two companies in the exact same business with the exact same business model with only small operational differences but large ownership differences, right? It's right. hard to fathom how one could trade at book value when the whole industry is apparently going to file and one could trade it under 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, it, because otherwise you would just short the one, right? You would sell the one that's trading it and buy the one at 20 cents, right? Yeah. But if no one has the capital to put on that trade, if everyone is already massively long air cap and needs to dump because they're getting redeemed, that would explain it. I mean, and essentially, that's what I think is happening. Was there a lot of mar? Do you know if just by chance that there was a lot of margin debt going into this crash that maybe people even owned it on margin and then got margin calls? Um, I mean, I'm sure retail was levered long on margin. I doubt in these kind of names. I mean, I think this name is quite well owned by hedge funds. Is it? So that definitely contributed to the obliteration. And I, I have a feeling a few hedge funds are probably getting forced redeemed or something. Well, I, it's also I, the Einhorn owns it's also it the too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much money Einhorn is managing now. So he, he might all be his own money now at this point, right? yeah. So he might, he might not actually be the forced seller. But look, it's March 20th or whatever. So we're coming into the end of the quarter. So a lot of funds will have seen what their redemptions are going to be like. So they're basically forced sellers through the end of the quarter. So, look, this could easily get cheaper, but in my view, if you're not on margin, if you have a if you have semi-permanent capital, you can hold this on a multi-year view, it's very difficult for me to see how there's a better risk-reward than something like this in the market, right? Because no matter what I do, I can't get them to file for at least 12 months, probably more like 24 months. What are the bonds? Are there, are there bonds public? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of bonds. There's lots of bonds. So the bonds have traded off aggressively, but nowhere near the levels implying the distress of the equity, right? So the bonds were trading above par three days ago. Now, unsecured five-year paper trades around 8% yield, um, and, and that's in the high 70s, low 80s, depending on the coupon. Okay. So, you know, the, bond, the bonds are showing a level of distress, no doubt, but, you know, 8% is not is not 20%, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I would love if the company came out and, and kind of gave an update. They, 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 had a, they had a conference call, you know, literally four days ago that I thought was very reassuring. Market didn't care. Market, the, you know, stock was 30, 30 bucks, I think, at the time, or 35 at the time, and now it's, you know, 18, 17. So, look, the market is in shoot, and, shoot to kill mode right now. But 
again, we're also at the peak of the scariest headlines. So, you know, this could continue for another three, four weeks. Maybe New York City gets locked down. All air traffic will just stop. And all these airlines will need to ask for bailouts from their governments. And they'll probably get bailouts from their governments. That allows them to continue at least paying something. Uh, and allows them to get through to when traffic at least starts to recover. As soon as it becomes clear that this is not going to file. A uh, little hard to hear you all of a sudden, Jeremy. Well, oh, sorry, I said, I said as, soon as, as soon as it becomes clear that this is not going to file, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's probably good for doubling in the stock, in my view, right? Because that just gets you back to half a book. Right. Right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, even in the worst kind of stress scenario where you lose 100% of your investment if you're wrong, it's at least a, you know, one-to-one payout, right? Which is crazy. I think it's more like a, a very high likelihood that you don't lose your money. And in that scenario, you still get an option like payout. You get a multiples payout. So, I mean, given that I know this business very well, and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I was too long it uh, from from higher up. So, you know, I limited my ability to get longer down here. But that's that's the way of the world, right? So, anyone who's looking at it for, with fresh eyes now, I think, would find it highly attractive. Interesting. All right, Jeremy. That always interesting to have you on. I appreciate the thoughts. No worries. Speak soon, Eric. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.